Well, I don't think anyone said it yet, but I hope you had a great Thanksgiving this week. Uh, hopefully you got outside in the freezing rain and uh, yeah, right? My family was here uh, from California this week and it's, they're always here when the weather's terrible and I tell them, I swear it's better here than this, I, I promise. Uh, I don't know if they believe me yet. My name is Andrew and uh, I'm a, a pastor here at the Leewood campus of Christ Community. It's great to be here with you and uh, I wanted to start this morning uh, by asking you a question. <clears throat> And I want you to be honest with me, okay? So, because you usually aren't, is what I'm saying. No. Um, how many of you out there, you're the kind of person where when you get a new book, the first thing you do is you turn to the last page and read the last page. Raise your hand if that's you. Yeah. There's some, there's some brave souls out there raising their hands. Yeah, that's good. I totally do that. That's what I do. Uh, and I love, actually, I love telling this story um, to Harry Potter fans because they get so mad at me. But the only Harry Potter book that I've read is the last one. It's the only one I've read. (laughs) And the first thing I did when I got that book was read the last page of that book. So the first page of Harry Potter I ever read was the last one. Now, some of you are out there, you're judging me right now. But here's what I want to tell you naysayers. You you people who demand that the story has to be told in order, all you're doing is setting yourself up for unnecessary heartache. That's all you're doing when you read it in order. Because a story isn't worth reading unless the ending is good. And I want to know right away whether I'm wasting my time or not, right? A story is only as good as its ending. I think we all kind of believe that. There's nothing worse than, right, like faithfully following like a TV series for seven or eight seasons. And then the last show is just terrible, right? It's like all you How I Met Your Mother fans out there are like, yeah, that's totally true. Um, sorry, that's an inside joke. I'm sorry. Um, it's like, why did I waste my time doing that? And the funny thing is, but that's actually a very biblical concept. The Bible gets that. God gets that when he tells his story. A story is only worth knowing. It's only as good as it's ending. And that's why, as we begin our series this morning on God's heart for the world, this hope for all people, Uh, The story that God is telling for the whole world, we're starting at the end. We're starting in the book of Revelation, which you just heard read, because we need to know the end of what God is up to if we want to know our place in the middle. Because the beautiful part of knowing the end of God's story is that it gives us a tremendous hope in the present. And hope is something that the world needs desperately. I don't don't know if you've noticed that, but it's, it's, it's depressing enough that it feels like our world just kind of descends into chaos at times. And I mean, every headline it feels like is is recounting something terrible. But you know what what makes me even sadder than that? It's it's, It's that when we talk about those horrible things, when we read about them in the news or see commentators on television or you... Uh, you hear a lot of different opinions, you hear who's right and who's wrong, you hear what we should do, what we shouldn't do. There's no shortage of commentary on what happened, but what you will almost never find when our culture and our world is confronted by real evil and real adversity and real problems, what you'll almost never find is hope. Sure, there are small hopes in our lives, my hope that my kids will be okay, that my team will win the Super Bowl, that I'll get a promotion, that I'll get what I want for Christmas, but there's no hope out there big enough to handle the real problems of this world. There was a recent Radiolab segment on NPR where they, they like highlighted this social scientist. 
And uh, on, on the side, I mean, he had a real job, but on the side, what he would do for years, he'd go around to random people in Hoboken, New York, which is where he's from. And he would ask them one question. He would just ask them one question. And the question was this. It was very simple. Will human beings ever stop fighting wars once and for all? So for years, he's asking people, will human beings ever stop fighting war once and for all? And he says, nine out of 10 people will say, no, never, will never end. And the article goes on to say simply, right, that humans have gotten less optimistic over time. And he'll compare that to previous generations of of data on, on a similar question. But I would say that what we're really seeing is that, that, is that big hopes, hopes for peace and prosperity of the world are dying. We may have small hopes for ourselves, but we have very little hope for our neighbors. We have very little hope for global poverty and global injustice, no, no hope for peace. And I know that sounds melodramatic, but I don't think I'm overstating. Okay? We need a hope big enough. We don't just need creative ideas to solve our problems, whether they're economic or political or social or environmental. What we need is hope. So as we light the hope candle today, as we begin this Advent season, the first thing I want us to see together is that only this story of God for the whole world gives us a hope that's big enough. Despite everything we see around us, we have a hope that's big enough. And no book in the Bible gives us a picture of this hope like the book of Revelation, which we just heard read. The book of Revelation was written into a chaotic world just like ours, a world where Christians were killed for their faith, where evil superpowers seemed to control everything, where God seemed delayed, and where hope was hard to come by. So if you haven't turned there yet, turn to Revelation chapter 7. It's the the last book in the Bible, chapter 7. The book of Revelation is about a lot of things. It's an incredibly important book to know and understand in our faith tradition. It's primarily written, it's a, it's a written record of a vision by John the Apostle. It's a vision of the end of time. It's the end of history. It's the goal of everything is what he's writing about. What God has done, is doing, and will do. And in chapter 7, John is getting a very specific glimpse that I want us to focus on. He's getting a glimpse of what the end will be like. And here's what he saw. I'm going to read it again, starting in verse 9. And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, if you were with us two weeks ago when our friends from Elam Ministries were with us, some of this may sound familiar to you. Uh, the, the multitude that can't be counted, a people from all tongues, tribes, and nations. This is an echo of an old promise of God in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, when God begins to redeem the world through Abram and his family. In Genesis 16, God promises him, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And, chap- and one chapter later in 17, God renames Abram, he renames him Abraham, And the reason is, for I will make you a father of a multitude of nations. Abraham means father of many nations. We've heard this before. God's purpose from the beginning was to bless all the nations. And now we see at the end of the story, God makes good on that promise. He can turn to Abraham and say, I told you. There you have it. Every tribe, tongue, a father of many nations. 
And now we begin to see that God's vision for the world, our hope, is a new nation made up of every nation. A tribe of all tribes, a people of all peoples, a city of all cities, the, the new Jerusalem is the language, the image that John uses in, in, in uh, Revelation, the city of God, the goal of history, that every tongue, tribe, and nation can praise him there together. And this is one of how the first things we learn about the Christian hope over against all other kinds of hope. The Christian hope in the book of Revelation is big enough for everyone. It's big enough for everyone. This story, this hope that we have is for everyone. And I don't just mean for all individuals. I mean for all peoples. There's a difference. Notice this vision isn't a bunch of nameless, faceless angels that John sees who look and act the same and are singing Gregorian chant into eternity, okay? And be honest, be honest. A lot of times when you think of heaven, you think of something like this, right? The most boring thing ever. This is not at all what John is describing. What John is describing, the simplest thing I can compare it to is like, can you take that? Yeah, see, they're just going to look at that the whole time if you leave that up there. Yeah. I know you guys. I know you're going to do that. The, the closest thing I can think to, uh, think of that John is describing here, it's not perfect, but it's like the opening ceremony for the Olympics. That's what John sees. Every nation and people throughout history represented together, and John can still hear every language, and he can see every color. You know, later in Revelation, John talks about how the, the, the New Jerusalem, God's city, uh, is a place where the nations will walk by its light and will bring their glory into the city. And he says that the, the tree of life in the middle of the city, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. And I wonder if John here in, in Revelation 7, he's getting a glimpse of the glory of the nations. So just think about that for a minute. Think of the most beautiful art throughout history from every culture coming into God's city. Right? Think of the music John is listening to. He can hear in this vision. Think of the instruments playing together. Many of them have never been played together before, ever in history. And suddenly they're all together in one city for the glory of God. I'm sure that that was an overwhelming thing for John to see. And I imagine that in that moment he takes a deep breath um, and then he smells all the food, right? The food. Is anyone else, that's like one of the most things you're most excited about? <laughs> Whenever you eat the best food of another culture, you know heaven is real. You can't deny it. It's so good. <laughs> John wasn't the only prophet to get a vision like this. In Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah sees something very similar. He sees the nations surrounding Israel bringing their, uh, their best to God's city, whatever it is that that culture or nation did best. So camels from Midian, gold from Sheba, the ships of Tarshish. That doesn't mean much to us now, but those are what the, this is the best of every culture coming to the city of God. And uh, Kenny Cluett, if you know him, he's, one, he's our global fellow here at Christ Community. He's taught here at Leewood several times, and he, he serves on staff here at Leewood. Um, he put it this way. Now, he's from Spain, so this is admittedly European in its focus. Um, but here's what he said. He said, heaven is where the chefs are Italian, the police are British, the mechanics are German, the lovers are French, and it's all organized by the Swiss. <laughs> and I said, that's so offensive. How dare you say that? No. Um, and I, I, I told him, I said, I would add the sports are American, but that's, that's just me. Um, listen, I... I don't know what will make it into the new creation from every culture. I, I don't, that's God's job. I don't know. 
But here's the real point. So God's hope is big enough for all people because God loves culture. And he loves nations. God loves nations. And Greg Forster spoke at Common Good Conference in uh, CG 2015, and, and he, t- he said, you know, it's, God talks so much about nations because he loves nations. It's all over the Bible, this word, nations. You cannot read Revelation 7 and think anything different. And, but we don't often think of God's love that way. We think God loves individuals, right? He loves people, and that's true. But the hope of Revelation is not just that individual people are redeemed, but whole nations, whole cultures are redeemed and worship God together. Yes, they need redeemed. Every culture is broken by sin. That's true. Every culture is broken by sin. But God wants something in his city from every culture, from every tongue and tribe and nation. That's his goal. And so we've got to ask ourselves, and and I've been asking myself, is the hope we cling to day in and day out, is it big enough for all people? And one of the biggest mistakes made by the Christian church in the the West uh, was was neglecting this very point that that our hope is big enough for for all people. When European missionaries went out all over the world, this isn't true across the board, but when many of them went went out across the world to to reach people with the gospel, one of the first things they did was, was try to civilize them which was really just another way of saying you need to become European and then you can become a Christian. You see, they thought that God's culture was European. They had a hope big enough for their own people, but not for all people. And not only was that a bad strategy for sharing the gospel, it was a completely unbiblical one. But we can, we can fall into the same trap on a smaller scale when, when we think about our own culture. We can often think that our culture is God's culture without even knowing it, without even realizing it. And even in our efforts to help people and to share our hope with people, we might actually simply be colonizing them. And Brian Fickert, I'm not saying this well, Brian Fickert puts it so well. Um, he was a speaker at, Com- at CG 2015 as well. He said, what Revelation teaches us is that God's goal in redemption is not to make New Delhi look like New York but to make New Delhi and New York look like the New Jerusalem. See the difference? Do we have a hope big enough for that? Is our hope big enough to learn and listen to our global neighbors in the church? Do we remember as an American church that we're just one tiny part of the story God's telling for the whole world and that the nations and the cultures around us can teach us so much about God, the churches there can teach us so much about God and who he is and how he works that we often miss because of our own cultural blind spots, which we all have? Do we remember that our own faith is impoverished when we don't intentionally seek out relationships and learn from other believers from different tribes and tongues and nations? Is our ultimate hope in God's country and not our country? Are we citizens of heaven before we're citizens of the United States? See, these are questions that John's vision force us to ask. Is our hope big enough for all people or just our people? The people who look and act and think mostly like we do. See, we, and we live in a time and a place for all its multiculturalism and valuing of diversity has precious few resources and stories to actually help us live together. We are still so segmented. It is still so hard to acknowledge and celebrate difference 
God-given difference without offending people. And John's vision, right, is telling us that the church can be different. We have a hope big enough for all people where we do more than, we, than just coexist. We have a hope big enough for that. We do. And we have a hope that's big enough to share now. We can share it now. This is the second point for our morning. We have a hope that's big enough to share right now. And, and this is a more subtle point of the book of Revelation, but it's so important to know it, to read and understand this book well. Revelation is one of those books or even if you're not super familiar with the Bible, you've probably heard of this book before. It's inspired a lot of terrible pop culture movies, okay? Inspired, me, right? It's got Arnold Schwarzenegger and Nicolas Cage and, and others uh, about the end of the world. There's lots of stuff out there like that on this book. It's a mysterious book, to be sure. It's one of the more difficult books to interpret in the Bible. It's, it's highly symbolic, and, and, and people debate what the symbols mean, and And many faithful Christians get caught up in trying to explain every detail of the book, but this is actually to miss the real purpose of the book. As we said before, this this is about the end of time, this book, but the real purpose of the book is, is not to help us predict how it's all going to end, but to give us hope until it ends. Hope in the Bible is always as much about how you are living now as it is about what will happen then. And the whole point of knowing the end of the story is to change how you live in it now. And we know the end. We know Jesus wins. We know God keeps his promises. That's what Revelation teaches. This hope changes how we live and share our hope now. So do you live like you have a hope worth sharing? And I think part of that looks like believing God is already doing now what he promises to complete in Revelation at the end of time, that he really is building his church everywhere, that despite all of the evil and the bad things happening in our world, he is still in control. And I was struck uh, by the stories of our friends from Elam when they were, sh- they were sharing about what God was doing in Iran a-, a few weeks ago. And I have to confess this to you as I, as I was writing this, and I-, I needed to even do some repenting while they were here. But I have to confess to you that when I, when I usually think of Iran, I think of fear, I think of enemies, I think of terrorism. I do not think of hope. I do not think of God's church. I do not think of revelation and all the Muslim background believers that I'm going to one day worship with in the city of God. See, not, that, that doesn't cross my mind because I saw the world and the nations, I saw human history through the lens of the headlines and my own fear instead of the story of hope for all people from God. And when I met Sarah, who is a church, uh, Iranian church planter uh, with Elam, it just, it just broke me. And I found myself saying, God, forgive me because you are doing what you said you would do. You are building your church and I did not believe you. I didn't think you could do it. I didn't think you could do this in a place like Iran, let alone that I could join you there in what you're doing. And I so often let fear stop me from sharing the hope I have in Christ, especially with people who don't look like me. I don't live like I have a hope worth sharing, that God is more than capable of bringing the nations to himself, every tongue, tribe, and nation, 
and that I get to be a part of that story. I so often live like the hope I have is for me and it's for my family and it's for my tribe. It's not a hope we're sharing with the world. Am I the only one who forgets that we have a hope we're sharing right now and that God is making it easier than ever to share that hope with the nations here in Kansas City? So we we did some research on this this week and it blew me away. Did you know that there are at least 33 people groups in Kansas City with significant numbers, so like 100 or more, many of them in in the thousands, many of whom have come from countries and cultures where they've never heard the gospel, they've never read a Bible. Bhutanese, Pakistani, Sudanese, Burmese, Chinese, that's just to name a few. Not to mention the growing number of Latin Americans coming to Kansas City. And uh, Mayor Sly James, he said that the third most common language in, in a home in Kansas City behind English and Spanish is Somali. Isn't that crazy? Do you realize what an opportunity we have to be a part of what God is doing all over the world right here? And I'm so thankful for organizations like Mission Adelante, whom we partner with, and World Relief, for reminding us and pushing us, the church in Kansas City, to get a vision for this. And recently, the city of Kansas City was identified to receive more refugees from the federal government from around the world. And World Relief is actually opening an office here soon in Kansas City uh, to facilitate that. And what, all, what World Relief does is they resource and connect churches with, with these people to love them well. That's what they do. And many of these people come from countries where the outside world, let alone the church, is not allowed in. And God is bringing them to our doorstep. Can you imagine the global impact our church and Kansas City, the churches of Kansas City can have if we simply share the hope we have, the hope that's big enough for all people. And in the midst of the political mess that our, our country finds itself in when it comes to welcoming refugees, I know God wants to use us. I know it. Because politicians from, from either side, from any side, politicians do not set the agenda for God's church and God's people. His word does. And his word is full of stories of the church reaching the nations. It's all over the place. Oftentimes as political refugees ourselves. We cannot react in fear to our global neighbors here in Kansas City if revelation is our vision and our hope. We have a hope right now that we can share. Will we be faithful with it? And guys, I know this isn't easy. I know it can be scary. And I know, that I've got a long, I know that I've got a long way to go with this. And I know now there are people here who are already better at everything I'm saying than I am right now. And I know we have so many nations in this room right now. And God is using you to make our church better and our city better. And I want to thank you for being here. Please help us to grow here at welcoming the immigrant and the minority. And I'll just speak for myself. I need your help with this. I'm raising my hand. I need your help with this. And one thing I have learned in conversation uh, with people who know better than I do um, about uh, how to grow in this area is simply to remember how hard it is to be an immigrant in a foreign land. And many of us in this room, you've been to another country <clears throat> that doesn't speak English, um, and you know how hard it is. You have to like relearn everything. Now imagine trying to, in that context, fill out government paperwork, which is hard enough to do in English, 
right, in your native tongue, or get your kids registered for school, or whatever it is that you've got to do, it's, it's really hard. So remember that when you meet someone from another country and be hospitable, be a friend. Maybe it's someone here at church, someone at work. Maybe it's a mom that you see at the park with, with kids. So have a coffee, invite them over for dinner. The impact that that can have on someone is profound, especially when they're new, and, and we get that. Who knows what God can do with that simple act of kindness and hospitality? And part of what we're doing as a, as a church to grow in our awareness of what God is doing around the world and, and in our city, we're starting a team of folks here to help, help lead us. And one really practical thing you can do today is, and I, and I mean this, is to, is to begin praying for that team. Pray that as, as they make plans and they listen to what God would have us do, that he would bless our effort there and that we would truly grow as a church in this. That's our heart. But listen, all the teams and the meetings and the strategies in the world cannot make Revelation 7 happen. Our hope isn't big enough because we're a part of it or because we figured it out or because we're so strong or so great. And this is our last point, is our hope is big enough because of the lamb who was slain. The lamb who was slain. Because you cannot get to Revelation 7 without reading Revelation 5. And here's what it says there. It says, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp, and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed a people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And the point of the book of Revelation is there's only one person worthy to tell God's story of hope. There's only one. And it's the lamb who was slain. The vision of every tongue and tribe and nation is impossible without the lamb who was slain. And he, he and he alone purchased the people. He ransomed the people for God. And this is what makes Christian hope so different than other kinds of hopes. Because when we think of the word hope in English, we often think of a wish or a preferred future. I hope it doesn't rain today. I hope the kids sleep in. I hope school gets canceled. What my, most hopes are preferences. They may happen, they may not happen. It's, it's a blind optimism that we live with, but the Christian hope is not that. Because the lamb who was slain, when Christ died on the cross and rose again, it guarantees a victory that is yet to come. That is why John can say the lamb has already won the nations, even though John saw this 2,000 years ago and wasn't even aware of half of the nations that we are up to. It didn't matter. The victory is sure. Our hope is secure. Revelation 7 is not God's preferred future. It is his guarantee in Christ. So how do we live with strength and perseverance and share this hope that we have that's for all people in the midst of the chaos of history and the chaos of our own lives? Because the lamb was slain. A Christian life, you can think of it this way, it's like a book that you already know the ending to. And that changes everything. 
And God is bringing people to our church. Some who are like us, some who are different. But everyone is ready for somebody to spoil the ending of the story for them. It's a hope we're sharing. It's a hope we can share now. And it's a hope big enough for all people. And one of the most practical ways we can join with the church of the whole world right now is by taking the Lord's Supper together. And I'm convinced that part of the reason Jesus uh, taught us to take this meal together was to unite his church all over the world with this simple act of faith. The church worldwide, many of them right now, are taking the Lord's Supper with us. Just think about that. And not only that, but when we take the bread and we take the cup, we aren't just participating now with the global church. We're practicing for then. Because in Revelation 19, John tells us that one of the first things that will happen when Jesus returns is that all of God's people, the whole church, will sit down together for a meal, for a wedding feast, to celebrate the wedding of the Lamb and the church, His bride. So right now, today, we are reminding ourselves of the wedding feast to come, where there is enough for everyone to enjoy, where there is room for everyone, every tongue and tribe and nation. So let this meal give you hope, a hope that is sure, a hope that is steadfast, a hope you can trust, and a hope you can share. There are stations all around the room. If you've received Christ, please Uh, join in with us and and take of the meal. If you haven't received Christ, I invite you to stay in your seat. That's fine. And consider him. Take him instead.